This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Grant Collins will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Hello, everybody. This is Drew Dockin. We are recording Monday, August 9th. Markets were very flat today. When we're looking at the Dow Jones Industrial Average, that was... uh, down 0.3%. Um, S&P was virtually unchanged, down 0.09%. Uh, NASDAQ was slightly positive. We saw U.S. Treasury also remain unchanged, ending the day at 1.325%. Uh, volatility was up a little bit, up uh, about 3.5%. Um, but yeah, pretty flat day as we saw Dow and both the S&P 500 drop from their July highs. Um, should mention, too, that we had July's numbers come in. Um, those were certainly – or job numbers come in, and those were certainly uh, very robust, uh, well over 900,000 jobs added. And it was really the best monthly performance that we've seen in a year, and then – Based on on the numbers that you just gave, Drew, we did see the unemployment rate drop to a, just uh, below 5.5%, um, the lowest since the pandemic began. So good jobs. We did see that restaurants and bars were really leading the way, really no big uh, surprise there as we're seeing them begin to reopen. It will be interesting to see how August numbers come out because there is the, the heightened Delta variant that, that is spreading across the country and we are seeing cases rise again. Yep, yep. Um, those cases are definitely on the rise. Uh, there's also going to be a lot of consideration on you know whether the Fed should be easing up on their policy um, a little bit in, in light of you know the 5.4% unemployment. Um, one thing that certainly could be a big theme this year, uh, and we're looking at some recent discussion um, on ETFs Edge um, when they're talking about hydrogen. So functionally, I mean, we know that Elon Musk has been really down on hydrogen, uh, but there there has been increased uses, especially in you know large large freight because those batteries are. Uh, ultimately a lot uh, lighter than, you know, traditional. And hydrogen is one of the most abundant elements in the world, especially when you compare it to, say, a lithium battery that Elon Musk is really behind. Mm-hmm. There, there is an abundance of hydrogen and the power from it uh, could be utilized. The, the big one that they're looking for is the, in the trucking industry, because this will allow them to have Uh, significantly lighter batteries and then with the lighter loads they could hypothetically uh, with those fuel cells be able to go longer distances with the reduced weights Um, so they're they're really looking at it to to help with the trucking industry is just one use for hydrogen uh, and and, in another way to utilize the, the abundance elements for renewable energy yeah and we are talking about esg this will be another investing opportunity uh, so Global X's ETFs is going to launch a hydrogen ETF. Uh, the ticker symbol will be HYDR. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, we're going to be your function. You're going to be able to trade on uh, Charles Schwab and Robinhood and then perhaps Coinbase as well. So there's more opportunity in the space to 
you know, to allocate some money. And speaking of Coinbase, we we sh- we should bring up another hot topic: uh, cryptocurrency. We did see uh, a new bill uh, going to the U.S. Congress. Really, that would allow the the Treasury Secretary to to veto the creation of these stable coins and really have regulators have rules for these decentralized finance. So really going at the the, the core of cryptocurrencies and, and cryptos exchange. Drew, what's your take on this new bill? Yeah, so Don Beyer of Virginia, um, you know, put forward the bill. It's uh, titled Digital App asset market structure uh, and investor protection acts. It's a 58 page bill, but yeah, I mean, like you said, it's going to create a lot more regulatory more of a regulatory environment for these cryptocurrencies. Some might be classified as securities. Some might be treated as commodities. Uh, There's going to be larger tax data collecting and reporting. Um, But, but yeah, ultimately, uh, you know, it, it may be necessary, but we've also we've also seen some very, very um, unhappy, uh, you know, crypto investors. So, so it's not a topic I really know too much about uh, from what the bullet points are. But uh, yeah, there's it's definitely been contentious. Well, if I was in an unregulated market and then people were trying to highly regulate me, I don't think I would be a, a big fan of that. Right. Because <laughs> uh, the the reaction that we have seen from the bill is that it was it, it was written by a lot of authors who had a really clear understanding of the underlying technology of the blockchain technology, which a lot of people do not. So this was really the the first time that we've we've seen some legis- proposed legislation that could have a big impact on the market, and that people are now starting to grasp this this cryptocurrency market, and we could begin to see some regulations here here moving forward. A lot of people are calling for it, especially with the unregulated transfer of assets, especially across state or even country borders, as well as not harvesting any of that that taxation revenue as well. Yeah, I mean, and it might provide some clarity. I know a section of the bills looking at how the U.S. government should look at stable coins, which are, you know, assets that are substitutes for dollars and and other fiat. Um, and and yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's it's trying to give the Treasury Depart- Department oversight and veto power on the creation of, um, you know, the usage of any stable coins uh, in the U.S. and and any other countries that may be, you know, onboarding them. So. In one I mean, country that, in one country that is using blockchain for for payment system, is we have seen China, is some people are calling it six years of, ahead of the United States. China accounts for forty six percent of the total Bitcoin mining in the world, uh, as of earlier this year in, in April, and really we we did see a crackdown in China last month where some miners were had their terminals broken and there was a recent crackdown. Uh, this doesn't seem like that big of a competitive advantage because if the Chinese are controlling Bitcoin, uh, um, I don't think that the U.S. would want to rely on a system uh, that is then they're monitored by a, another foreign nation. Uh, so I don't necessarily know if, if this is the bad, if the worst thing if we are behind in, in a blockchain payment system. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the Chinese have added their own crypto brands. Uh, ultimately, where we've seen high trading volumes is amongst poor and developing countries uh, and Nigerian Nigeria trading volumes, especially uh, there was an online survey from Statista that that showed that 32% of Nigerian respondents said they owned or had previously owned cryptocurrencies. Uh, that's the largest in the world. El Salvador, you know, made that we talked about this briefly, but they made that big announcement that Bitcoin's going to be accepted as legal tender. Uh, then you've also seen um, Kazakhstan, you know, they're they're they've had a six-fold spike in, in their mining um, as well. So, yeah, we've seen the U.S. jump from, you know, a little, little over 4% to almost 17%, but um, a lot of the, the countries that have certainly got on the bag wagon, um, like I said, you know, are from uh, more developing countries. And if we shift to another aspect that we've seen come out, we saw the Treasury Department invoke some extraordinary measures as Congress has missed their debt ceiling deadline. You know, th this has happened before. It seems like when it does happen, both sides of, of, of the aisle are looking to uh, take advantage of it, especially uh, the ones who, who are the minority. So really what these extraordinary measures do is allow the Treasury to pay off government bills uh, without floating any additional debt for the next two to three months. After that, Congress will either need to raise or suspend the borrowing limit or risk the United States defaulting on its obligations, uh, which it never has. So that would have drastic impacts uh, if we were to, to default. Uh, and, and really, default would be not paying back interest or if we uh, stop making payments for, for Social Security. So it would have a, a pretty broad spectrum of ripple effects uh, it seems to me that, that that this will get done on time i no one wants this will have huge impacts on on financial markets uh, drew should we be worried that this deal isn't going to get done well if we remember back in the obama administration uh failure to raise the debt ceiling you know led to our first downgrade in in, in many many years um you know, obviously the political dynamics are such now that uh, we have one party in control of both chambers and the executive. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll see. Um, it is going to be a political hot potato. Um, it's often used as leverage and when we're looking at spending reductions coming into midterms, regardless of who's spending money, uh, you know, a lot of reps do not want to be seen as, you know, being part of the problem in terms of increasing the debt. So this can also be a symbolic vote. Uh, I mean, so hopefully, hopefully that's not the case. Uh, like, like you mentioned, it's got broad, broad, um, you know, ramifications. Uh, if, you know, the government doesn't float new treasury bonds. I mean, you're looking at payments to social security, Medicare, military spending, uh, interest on, you know, U S debt and everything else. So it's, 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 it's pretty important. Um, especially, you know, in the middle of a pandemic and, and the global, you know, um, global correction. <laughs> just wait <laughs> one day and all of a sudden Social Security and Medicare and military spending have just stopped. Yeah. Uh, so doesn't sound like a, uh, a good decision. Right. And it's, it's, you know, the, the whole measure in of itself is kind of, it's, it's tried to, 
force policy officials to kind of stop and think. Um, but ultimately, they've moved it forward. And I mean, the, the drawback is just seems to be the conversation uh, regarding the debt ceiling limit uh, every year. So, um, um, you know, maybe maybe the the idea of it was in the right place, but it's it's obviously uh, stress inducing, to say the least. And um, apart from that, we saw some pending home sales drop, um, which, you know, obviously the market's been very hot. Uh, sales have been down 1.9% compared to June 2020. Um, and, 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 and yeah, so you're seeing, you know, there's still some interest, but, but a lot of those record prices have, have seen a drawback. Well, we saw that prices were at all time highs and inventory has been low. That started to change a little bit over the last couple of months. One reason is we did see newly listed houses in June rise 5.5% compared to uh, last June of 2020. Also newly built homes was up year over year. So we are seeing that the supply is also beginning to increase. Also, we, we may have seen demand. Uh, so buyers are still interested in want a home, but with how high housing prices are, that's causing them to, to retreat. So overall, we could see that the housing market cool a little bit. One, because we are seeing those more houses on the, on the supply line. And then also a lot of folks are being priced out. Yeah. I mean, we, we saw, the prices, you know, in, in May, at least, were up nearly 17% from May of 2020. Uh, and then, you know, pretty much uh, across the board, you know, over the last month, uh, you saw some pending sales fall. Um, you know, in the South, they fell 3% monthly. The West, you saw uh, sales drop 2.6% uh, annually, 3.8% monthly. Uh, so, yeah, it's it softened a little bit. Um it kind of really brings us into the whole issue when we were looking at rents. Uh, you know, national protection was supposed to expire. Um, Biden has recently uh, kind of overrode that on a presidential level. Uh, there's judges taking him to court. Uh, it's really been uh, a gigantic shit show. Um, and what seemed to be something that was completely preventable, right? Uh, it's not like it, it came out of nowhere. It just seems like uh, the legislatures just completely forgot about it. Um, any relief has been actually slow to start with. Uh, cities and states have been really slow to get out the $45 billion that was allocated by Congress to, to help the renters crisis. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, you have millions of families were at one point facing a potential loss of their homes, but also you have land, uh, land, landowners and landlords that uh, have been slow to be getting, you know, their cash, cash as well. Uh, that Congress had, um, you know, proposed that 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 would be their relief. Yeah, it's a tough situation, especially with uh, with renters not being able to pay rent, being able to to stay in their houses, has reduced the amount of places on the market. So that also has, we've seen the housing prices for buyers increase, but we've also seen uh, renters costs increase as well over the last 18 months, which has a big impact, especially if you're evicted, finding another place. So it's going to have a big ripple effect 
on the on the renters market. We did see uh, at least four states temporarily banned evictions um, pending the the rental assistance application. So that's Massachusetts, Nevada, New York, and Oregon. California is a big one that has a lot of renters who who cannot move or landlords who cannot move forward with those evictions. Uh, but over the next couple of months, it'll be interesting to see which states move to protect and which states don't and, and how that impacts the local economies. Yeah, and I mean, you kind of like anything, it's state by state basis. It's kind of a Byzantine system. So, you know, states like Connecticut landlords can't move forward with an eviction unless they have applied for the federal rental assistance. So there's different moving parts uh, in, in every state. Uh, I, I guess kind of how I'd like to close discussion is um, Lail uh, Reynard uh, is the potential Fed chair. Um, she's a leading candidate to take over in February if Powell doesn't get a second term. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, the Fed's independent from politics, but we, we know that, uh, you know, Jerome Powell's been a card-carrying Republican and then, then she's been a card-carrying Democrat. Um, you might see, uh, I, I think she, you know, the word on the street is she's probably less likely to allow asset bubbles to, to prop up, you know, as um, our boy Jay Powell has done. So, yeah, I mean, We'll, we'll see what happens. Obviously, a lot of people have been very happy with Powell, but if um, if the most likely choice, if it's not Powell again for a second term, is is Brainerd, right? I just don't see how you make the switch unless Powell doesn't want to go for a second term. Mm -hmm. uh, over the last pandemic, if we think about how our economy is rebounding from that last recession, that even even though some think that they are being a little too uh, liberal with their inflation target. And then also they've been keeping rates still so low, even as we have seen the latest job numbers may overheat the economy. But it, it seems like where we are now versus where we were a year ago, economy wise, seems like the Fed has done a fantastic job under Powell. So I just don't see how Biden is able to uh, not give him a second term unless unless he doesn't want it. So mm -hmm. that would be that would be my stance on it. It just doesn't seem like even though it's not supposed to be political, I, I could see wanting to have a Democrat at, at the head of the Fed. But unlikely unless unless Powell uh, doesn't want a second term. That said, if we do see the shift, uh, we could see uh, Bernard, if I hopefully I pronounced that right, uh, would be more inclined for regulatory tools, as you said, for for asset bubbles than than the central bank under Powell. Also, seems like she would be more willing to adopt a digital currency, which we have seen uh, Powell said that he is is really in no rush there, uh, wants to get it right, and I think he's really signaling that that should be coming from from Congress and, and the Treasury sector, Secretary before the Fed uh, moves forward with that. But it will be interesting to see. Don't think we'll hear anything until September at the earliest because uh, the nomination would also have to be cleared through the Senate and then Paul, Powell's first uh, four-year term as the chairman ends in, in early February. So there, this will be, uh, we'll have some time. 
Yeah, I mean, in, especially in terms of her comments with the Aspen Ep- Economic Strategy Group, she seems a lot more worried about um, where we stood in terms of a a, a crypto uh, currency when you see countries like China, you know, increasing their use. Um, but yeah, that that's one thing. And you know, we we've talked about this. Uh, potential new Fed chair in a while. Um, not not making any predictions. Uh, you know, there's there's definitely been a lot of people who are quite happy with Powell, but uh, this is you know probably probably the second biggest contender. Um, with that, Grant, is there anything that we probably should have mentioned that we might have overlooked? Uh, not mentioned, but something that we should watch out for. I'm sure that we will talk about on next week's podcast. Uh, but we will see how prices have rose in July. So the consumer price index that spiked in June, those numbers will be uh, released on Wednesday. And we did see that June's numbers were the fastest pace in, in 13 years. So uh, if we do see another jump in how prices have, especially with meals and, and used cars surging that we saw last month, uh, we could see the Fed need to begin to take action if we see drastic increases. Usually that resp- the response is raising interest rates or uh, they already have begun dialing back the, the government bond-backed programs. Uh, but it's interesting to see what those numbers come out because we could see the Fed begin to, to take action to combat inflation. What about you, Drew? I think anything that comes out of the Labor Department is going to be really important to look at for the next couple months. We saw Labor Department stated that there's about 8.7 million Americans looking for work. Right now, there are 10.1 million openings, at least on the final date of June that the number released. So, yeah, there's there's more work out there than there's people who are actively looking um, in fact, there's about a million more uh, jobs open than, than uh, some of the economists at Dow Jones were expecting. So, yeah, I mean, how labor shortages shifts, uh, you know, the demand for higher wages and better conditions shifts and, and different levels of uh, reopenings is going to be interesting to see because uh, the jobs are there. But uh, but like you said, you know, right now we're still sitting at 5.4 percent unemployment. So. So, yeah. And uh, with that, um, leave you to it. Thank you, everybody, for the likes and subscribes. Uh, We'll talk to you next week, and we're out. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WellFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WellFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WellFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WealthFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.